Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today I'm uh, recording by myself, recording this after the Sacramento Kings had a pretty horrible loss to the Memphis Grizzlies. It's actually early morning on Monday when the Kings lost that game on Sunday afternoon in a pretty dramatic fashion that I guess fans are probably sadly used to seeing at this point. Um, you know, pretty close game in the first half that got out of hand very quickly in the third quarter here. But before I dive into that, and, and a lot of today is going to be playing different clips from the post-game press conferences that we heard after that game, because I think Alvin Gentry was was very emotional and had a lot of things to say that I think is good for the fan base to get an opportunity to hear where kind of everybody behind the scenes is at when we're seeing so many of the same issues over and over again. You'll hear from Terrence Davis a little bit here as well. And in a brief moment from De'Aaron Fox that we heard after that game against Memphis as well. Um, But before I get into that, I kind of just want to explain that, you know, between this episode and the last is almost two weeks. And uh, that's, easily the longest that I've gone since since starting this podcast. Um, and, I, and I started this about two years ago now. It's just been a, quite a transition period for myself personally. Um, you know, recently, earlier this season, getting credentialed to games for the very first time and getting to attend as media and trying to understand all the ins and outs of that, you know, like 7 p.m. game, all of a sudden I'm in my car about four o'clock on the way over to the stadium and not getting home until 1130. And I don't have a somebody that most of the time, there's not going to be somebody available to record a podcast with me at 1130 at night. Um, and it takes me some time to kind of edit in these audio clips from the post game conferences that I'm a part of now that I think are important for you guys to hear. So it's probably not even midnight or something like that until somebody I'd be ready to go for somebody to record with me. So um, that's just been a little bit less of an option as I kind of go through this transition. And that's made me get used to recording solo, which is something I hadn't done for a long time and, and, and I'm getting comfortable with, but it, you know, just one of those transition periods. And I think going through the entire learning process of being in media and trying to network with people and uh, yeah, just learn the whole game and ins and outs, do's and don'ts of media has been um, a lot, a big task for me. I, I have my day job that I'm doing in the meantime as well working on building any sort of relationships and networking while I'm there. Um, And then I also am trying to expand in other aspects of content as well. I I just put out my first freelance piece for the Sacramento Bee, which I'm ecstatic to be a part of, of the Bee, obviously, but it was just another thing that was a part of this transition. So just, Long-winded way of saying, and, and the holidays as well, obviously, with Christmas just in the rearview mirror, barely, that a uh, long-winded way of me saying, you know, I, I hope you can understand why there's been a gap between episodes here. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm getting accustomed to kind of what this whole new point of view looks like and um, just 
being credentialed and having access and things like this is been a transition, but I'm, I'm getting used to it here. So don't expect any sort of gap like this. This, this is absolutely the outlier, but just to kind of explain myself there and um, yeah, I appreciate the, the support that I've gotten throughout that process. So yeah, I just wanted to explain that a little bit before going into this. And then also before I spend time talking about the Memphis game specifically, I do want to acknowledge the the games that I didn't get to talk about because of that gap that I had taken for the reasons just explained. Um, you know, Tyrese Halliburton obviously being the standout. He had it, there were so many Kings players in health and safety protocol, and I won't spend I won't spend too long talking about this since everybody has spent plenty of time focusing on this. Um, you know, the the Kings were without De'Aaron Fox, Davion Mitchell, Terrence Davis, Marvin Bagley, Lou King, Alex Len. Um, I feel like I'm missing someone. I know that Rashawn Holmes was out for a while, not for health and safety protocol, but for a laceration in his eye and Tyrese Halliburton just really had to do everything. You know, the Kings were signing, uh, a day murky, Emmanuel Moody, excuse me, Justin Robinson. And then Tyrese Halliburton is forced into the primary role where he's getting blitzed in the pick and roll. Um, a, you know, thing that I thought when he first saw that at the NBA level, he would really struggle with because I, I didn't think his handle was, I guess you could say up to par. That feels like poor wording and underselling where I viewed it, but I, I felt like his handle would cause some issues when it came to getting doubled, even though he, he is obviously a phenomenal passer. And I think we already knew that ahead of time, but him being the primary guy and needing to, look for his own shot a little bit more often and being the only initiator out there. You know, I, I don't know if there was another like guy that you could very confidently say was an above average passer and especially advantage creator out there, you know, like, and to, to Tyrese's credit, um, you know, this is the thing I wrote about in the B. So definitely go check out that piece. It does a lot for me as I kind of try to, uh, make some steps over there, but four games in a row of at least 20 points and 10 assists for Tyrese Halliburton. He's the first player in Sacramento Kings history to have four games in a row of doing that. Um, first one coming against Memphis, 21 points, 10 assists, six rebounds, and only three turnovers. That's in 37 minutes. Kings lost that game, however. The next one is against San Antonio, 27 points, 11 assists, four rebounds, um, two steals as well, and and only three turnovers in the 37 minutes that Tyrese played in that win against San Antonio. And then you see a game against Golden State with 24 points, 11 assists, four rebounds, three steals. There's five turnovers in that one. And then the most recent one before guys had come back, the fourth in a row of this 20 and 10 streak, it's 22 points, 13 assists, which is a new career high for him, three rebounds, three steals a block as well. And there are seven turnovers in that 43 minutes that he played, but Tyrese Halliburton is just clearly absolutely gassed coming out of these games. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this enough, you know, I, I've written about it. I'm sure every other pod has talked about this as well, but just wanted to kind of acknowledge how important that stretch is from Halliburton and him displaying an ability to be the primary creator and initiator on a team as, as the primary playmaker. Um, you know, the roster that he was working with, I think is an absolute outlier and also it's ridiculous to say to entertain this whole maybe we need to move on from fox because of these four games of Halliburton. like 
Luka Doncic, the Mavericks are sitting there talking about how they need to find another guy that can ease the load on Luka and be able to play make for him. Like, even if you think that Tyrese is this player that can be your number one option and the engine of your offense, he needs another guy that can help with those responsibilities and not force him to initiate every single time down the floor like he was absolutely gassed after every single one of these games and De'Aaron Fox can be that guy so yeah um all, all I have to say about that but going into this game against the Memphis Grizzlies and and by the way the Kings did lose three of those four games while all the players had been in health and safety protocol so while it was encouraging from Tyrese and, and amazing to see that I think that you know, obviously they were still losing games, which is what's really going to matter at the end of this season. And and as we sort of approach the trade deadline, what direction maybe this team is going to go in. So going into Memphis, they've lost three of four, six of their last eight in total. But Alvin Gentry was returning, even though uh, Doug Christie was refreshing to talk to in press conferences for sure, but still kind of his first opportunity to, to be the head coach of some games. So I think that that was a good opportunity for him. Um, another thing that a lot of people have touched on, so I'm not going to dive too much into, but I, I thought Doug did a solid job from what I can tell, just kind of implementing what Gentry already had in place. But going into Memphis, Gentry was back, De'Aaron Fox was back, Terrence Davis, Marvin Bagley, and Lou King were all back, but Davion Mitchell, Namiya Shkita, and Alex Len were still all unavailable in health and safety protocol. Memphis was coming into this without Dylan Brooks and DeAnthony Melton. Those two had been were announced about um, about the time that we first got to the stadium, you know, it was it was pretty last minute, um, but they did already know that Zaire Williams, Jarrett Culver were also going to be unavailable as well. And then some end of bench guys in Sam Merrill, Yevs Pons and Santi Aldama. So Memphis was dealing with a lot of shorthandedness on their side as well. John Morant was available along with, you know, Stephen Adams and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. So they still had some of their primary guys, but obviously so did Sacramento. And Again, I'm just going to spend a lot of time kind of using these other clips to really cement my point or, or get across what I think are the important things in those clips being primarily from Alvin Gentry and then a little bit of Terrence Davis and Fox as well. Um, but the first half, I, I thought the Kings that were playing solid. Um, you know, neither team could really hit a shot, which was obviously impactful. And, and I think that Memphis should have made more typically would have made more than they did. You know, they ended the half three of 14 from three, which includes O of three from Jaron Jackson, O of one from John Conchar. Uh, yeah. Killian Tilly was O of one. Tyus Jones was O of two. So while they're not a great three point shooting team, they do have some guys that are hitting the long ball at an elite clip this year that weren't really knocking down what I thought were decent looks in the first half. Um, but they did it. The Kings did a decent job of not letting John Morant get all too comfortable. Uh, but you know, I, I do feel like it was just sloppy basketball in the first half from from both sides. But in the end, Sacramento did go into the half with a lead. You know, they they managed to hold Memphis to only forty nine points in that half. They were up fifty one forty nine at the end of two quor- quarters. It is notable. Rashawn Holmes was uh, bad in his time out there. I, I don't know how really really else to say it he only played eight minutes in that first half because he managed to pick up three fouls in those minutes that and that includes a 0-4 from the field 
with uh, three rebounds and, and he had two blocks in there as well. But Holmes wasn't really doing anything on the offensive end. He, he missed the push shot a couple times. Um, wasn't a great screen and roll partner in this one. And obviously was struggling on the defensive end. I think he was maybe a step slow sometimes. Always been a little bit foul prone, um, but that really stood out in this one. And he did say after last game, which was his first game back from what I believe was a seven game absence due to uh, a laceration in his right eye. He said after last post game that, you know, it was, I want to say he said the first time, but I'll go with one of, if not the first time in his career that he had an injury where he wasn't able to do conditioning and stay in gain shape. So there's definitely still an aspect where I think Holmes needs to be given a little bit of slack for he's still getting back in game shape, you know, and, and you're going to be able to say the same thing with some of these other guys, De'Aaron Fox, uh, Marvin Bagley, Lou King, and Terrence Davis. Like while a lot of them, I know TD and Fox both said that they were asymptomatic after the game um, that and still able to do conditioning in the four games that they were sitting at home in health and safety protocol. There's just a difference between being in, in good shape and being in NBA game shape. So I think all those guys get a little bit of slack, but Rashawn Holmes specifically had the longest stretch and yeah, played really poorly in this one. But then going into the second half, um, De'Aaron Fox had a really big dunk. Um, the fan base was, I, I should mention, the the fans were very engaged in this one. You know, there's been plenty of moments where the stadium, Golden One, feels feels pretty empty. But I think the combination of being a, I believe it was 3 p.m. start time, on Sunday, on a Sunday that also happened to be the day after Christmas, and all of these guys were going to be coming back. I think there was a lot of excitement by the way that Tyrese had been playing, um, made for a lot of people in the stadium. And I think there was a lot of energy. There was a lot of unhappiness with foul calls, which I think um, the whistle was a little much for me at times. I, I think you could say that on both sides probably uh, favored Memphis a little bit more, but certainly not the reason the Sacramento lost this game. But it had the fan base, it had the the fans in the crowd very engaged and uh, vocal. They were emotional. They were they were like I said, engaged in this game. And then De'Aaron Fox in a transition opportunity from Tyrese Halliburton throws down this like double pump tomahawk dunk, and the stadium was very loud at that point. Um, you know, the, the fouls had just taken place or the fouls that I, I think the fan base was not too happy about had just taken place not long ago. So there was a lot of engagement, a lot of energy that you were feeling from Golden One Center at that moment. And as that dunk goes down, there's about eight minutes and 15 seconds left in the third quarter. Sacramento's down 58 to 61. Ideally, the Kings would ride off that momentum and go on a run from there. You know, it's a it's a very close game at this point. Like I said, only a three-point difference. After Fox threw down that um, really exciting highlight tomahawk dunk. And then Memphis goes on a 22-5 to run. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I it, for me, it happened very quickly. I, I was busy kind of trying to clip the Fox dunk and take note of the atmosphere of the stadium and kind of it you know all of a sudden I was like whoa Memphis just went on a NATO run and the next thing oh it's a 22 to 5 run all of a sudden the Kings are down 20 right after when it felt like momentum was shifting in their favor and I think Memphis could sense that 
and nip that in the butt right away. Didn't let it happen. Kings never recovered. It was a horrible second half. Um, I'm going to get into the details of of what stood out to me in a little bit because it's a lot of the same issues. But I actually think when Alvin Gentry came out post game, which by the way, Kings ended up losing 127 to 102, just absolutely embarrassed in this one. Um, but I think when Gentry came out post game and, and gave his initial statement is a good way to kind of start the conversation here. Again, you're going to hear a lot from Gentry in this one because I thought that what he had to say was was really important. And, you know, as I've been able to be a part of these press conferences a lot more, it's given me what I think is a very different perspective um, and, and a little bit more insight to some of the behind the scenes things going on. And I think that the entire fan base should be able to get that same insight since this is all public conversations. So I'm going to be sharing these a lot more on future episodes. And yeah, like I said, here's Gentry's initial thoughts post game when the Kings were embarrassed against Memphis in the second half. It's the most disappointing I've been in 34 years in the NBA. I can honestly say that, that, uh, that performance, uh, was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you know, we didn't play hard. We didn't compete. Uh, we gave up 19 offensive rebounds for, I don't know, 37 points or some astronomical figure. Uh, we didn't guard the ball. We didn't guard screen and rolls. We didn't follow the game plan. Uh, you know, all of those things. And the, to be honest with you, it's the most disappointing game that I've been involved with. You know, no, no comp- competitiveness whatsoever. And then we got those guys out there talking about, you know, when, when you have, yeah. just go ahead, ask questions. That's fine, because I don't want to get into it anymore. I think anybody out there that watched the game understand that that, that performance right there was, 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 was absolutely, it was just ridiculous. I don't know any other words to use because we didn't compete and we didn't do anything. Uh, we didn't move the basketball. Uh, we didn't attack them. Uh, we didn't stop their drives. We didn't stop their screen and rolls. Uh, we went over a couple of simple plays today, uh, and we didn't guard them at all. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm totally disappointed, and everybody in this building should be disappointed. Uh, well, I was, was you able to share that same kind of uh, message to the, the locker room? Yes, I did. I made sure that I did, you know. We, we, I'm telling you guys, you can't get a reputation in this league of being a team where you can come into their home gym and do what they just did to us. I'm just telling you, it will stay with you in the NBA. If you let teams come in and do what they did to us, you know, they, they basically tarred with us. And we're not that team. We're not a team that, that people should come in here and be able to toy with. So, yes, if you ask me if I'm uh, upset and disappointed, you're damn right I am. We never stopped them. We never stopped them. So the offensive rebounds and the points in the paint were, or they, they, they were all in the same situation. They shot it and they got it back. They had the ball in the paint the whole night. And so when they missed it, they just got it back and put it back in the basket. And so we never stopped them. We never got into the ball and we never made them fill us. And I think Doug said it every night up here, you know, when he when he was doing when he when he was coaching the team, they have to feel you. They can't play 
in an area where they don't feel you. And by that, you have to get into their body. And they've got to understand that it's not going to be straight line drives to the basket. And they never felt us the entire night. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us all together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Right. Now streaming. Dad! He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Vacation Friends 2, rated R, now streaming only on Hulu. To put it bluntly, the Kings have been pushovers. They've lacked physicality. Um, Terrence Davis, the wording that he used post-game was that he feels like other teams are licking their chops when they come into Golden 1 Center. They, you know, the, every, every single team views it as a winnable game, which the term winnable is is whatever, but you get the point. Um I can't blame Alvin for being frustrated. Like I think he should be, everybody should be. Um, and for Gentry, a guy who, like he said, 34 years in the NBA to come out and say very bluntly that this is the most disappointed he's ever been in his career. Just tells you all you need to know. And, and I think that it stems from kind of like Gentry was talking about. It's the same damn issues over and over and over. Um, what have we heard, right? Like defense. And you heard Gentry talk about they were unable to contain anyone on the perimeter. There was no sort of um, physicality there. I, I think that there's a couple of guys to blame there, but really nobody is blameless. So I'm not going to point specific fingers when it comes to that. Um, you know, I, I thought they did a decent job in the first half and uh, I say I'm not going to point fingers, but there is a specific player that I, I want to talk, have a conversation about in a little bit here. Um, but, you know, perimeter containment was an issue. Memphis had 72 points in the paint. Gentry's talked about how it's so much more difficult to play defense when you're turning the ball over and forced to defend in transition in non, while, while opponents have and have a numbers advantage. And, Sacramento managed to have 18 turnovers in this one. Um, they made life difficult on themselves. You know, Memphis, like I said, wasn't hitting shots in the first half, but then they ended up starting to do that. Um, their, the defensive rotations from Sacramento were really rough. Um, they weren't sharp. And then the other aspect that we've heard nonstop is limiting opposing second chance points and specifically through offensive rebounds on the other end 19 offensive rebounds for memphis six of them from steven adams five from john conchar john conchar is six five that's not like 
his specialty or anything like this. That's a lack of making sure you're putting a body on your guy and boxing him out and not allowing the guy that you're matched up against with specifically to be the one to go crash the boards and beat you on the glass. Lack of sharpness. Um, I keep using that word. That's what we heard Fox say earlier in the year, and I think it's fitting. Um, you know, there is effort, but I think there's also just a lack of quick understanding and taking the needed action sometimes. Specifically, there's one guy that stands out to me, to be honest. Um, but the quote we've heard a lot is the guys need to look in the mirror. And, you know, it's it's got to come from within each one of these individuals. You'll hear Terrence Davis say it. You'll hear Alvin Gentry say it. And that's what I'm going to play right here before I, I get into the guy that I, I think personally has really been frustrating me. There, at some stage, there's got to be a sense of pride, individual pride. You know, it can't be on the coach. It can't be on the GM. It can't be on the secretaries. It can't be on – it's got to be you. You have to go out and compete and do it yourself. And as a coach, I got to find the guys that will do that. That's supposed to be my job, to put guys out there that will compete. And we're not passing the blame off because it's all of us. When you have a performance like that, it's everybody that's associated with this. But we have to have people that wants to go out and compete, and we want to have, they got to have pride. You got to have self pride. You know, you got to have, look at yourself in the mirror and say, did I do everything that I possibly could tonight to help this team win? And if you did that, then fine. But if you didn't, you have to ask yourself why you're not doing it. I mean, what guys do we feel like can check that box tonight? You know, um, every single thing is tough from my point of view, obviously. But I'll, I'll, I'll check off a few guys that I feel like are able to say, excuse me, about 80%, right? Just because, again, it's hard from my point of view to say, oh, somebody gave 100%. Um, I'm going to start with Damian Jones. You know, he had a really good first half. He, he's played really well these last few games. Damian Jones was the best center on Sacramento's roster tonight. Um, I keep saying tonight. In this game, last game against the Memphis Grizzlies. He's been the best center for a few games in a row here now. Um, Alex Lynn has been an unavailable. Rashawn Holmes has been recovering from injury. So a lot of times it's between him and Tristan Thompson, and Thompson has had his moments. Um, but Damian Jones has played really good. 27 minutes, 6 of 8 from the field. He was willing to sh put up some threes. He was 0 of 2 from downtown. Uh, we saw him hit a couple recently. But 15 points and 6 rebounds with a steal, a block, and an assist in there as well in his 27 minutes. I thought Damian Jones played really well with good energy on both sides. Terrence Davis is another guy that, you know, I don't, I don't think shots were falling at a great rate for him, clearly with his 4 of 12 from the field and 1 of 5 from distance. But in 16 minutes, he did still manage 15 points um, and, and two rebounds with a steal and a block in there as well. I thought that while maybe he was a little bit out of control, that he had great energy on both ends of the floor. He had a really big steal. I want to say it was at the end of the, the half or maybe it was the uh, maybe the end of the third 
um, a big steal in isolation that led to a transition opportunity that he just got fouled on and got free throw opportunities where he was six of six from the free throw line. So 16 minutes and 15 points from Terrence Davis, I I thought that was really good effort from him. He was one of the few guys that I thought was consistently attacking the paint for Sacramento on the offensive end. I really liked the effort that we saw from him and you'll get some post-game clips from him here in a little bit. Um, Harrison Barnes. I thought Harrison Barnes did a really good job in the second half of this one. Team rebounding to take away second chance opportunities from Steven Adams specifically. You know, it's a team effort with the sort of rotations. I mean, when you can't contain anyone on the perimeter, like we've seen, there's so many defensive rotations on the back end and, and that caused, you know, all the helping the helper stuff to, in order to limit Adams or whatever offensive rebounder happens to be in the game for Memphis at the time. And I thought that Harrison Barnes did a good job limiting that. Do I wish he would have shot the ball more and you would have felt him more out there? Um, you know, just 12 points, seven rebounds, three assists in his 32 minutes with four or 10 from the field, three or five from three. Like I would have wanted more from Barnes, but I, he's not somebody I look at and I'm like, man, he didn't fill his role today. He didn't do what you have come to expect of Barnes. And I think that's because sometimes Barnes is a little bit inconsistent in his offensive contributions, but he does all the little things well. And I think you can check that box tonight. Tyrese Halliburton, um, I think it was probably an interesting transition for him going from the extreme usage that we had seen in the past four games to now having a lot of guys back, specifically Darren Fox alongside him. But I'm not really comp- going to complain about 32 minutes with 18 points, seven assists, um, three steals, a block, and then there's three turnovers in there as well. Um, I, I thought he could have done, he, he maybe could have taken, oh, no, nah, I mean, I don't really have too many complaints for, for Helber. And I think he's another guy that every, everybody deserves shit for this game. But I, I think that when we're talking about looking at yourself in the mirror and did I do most of what I could tonight in order to contribute to winning basketball. I think Tyrese Halberton is a guy that likely he probably doesn't say that to himself because after every one of those last four games where he notched 20 and 10, at least he was always pointing out one of his flaws or areas of potential improvement. So I'm sure Tyrese isn't looking at it as, oh man, yeah, I did everything I could. I, I think this is part of the reason that we've seen such outlier growth from Tyrese between year one to year two at Iowa state between year two at Iowa state to his rookie year in the NBA from last season to what we saw specifically in that four game stretch of the 2010 averages um, coming into this year. I think that that mindset of constant growth and recognizing and, and being willing to hear and focus on the areas of needed improvement is just part of Halliburton. But I think that he's a guy that did, I feel fine saying did what he could, you know, could have done more. Sure. Um, but it's not like one of those things where it's like, man, I really didn't give it enough tonight. Um, in, in my mind. Um, cause I, I think there are guys that, that, that stand out a little bit like Fox. I, uh, it, it's not one of those to be clear. I realized I was kind of getting to that. Um, didn't quite feel like that to me. I, I he was extremely underwhelming. But I don't think it was quite a lack of effort from him. Um, you know, he he did talk about 
kind of needing to get to back into uh, into game shape. He was asymptomatic, like I mentioned earlier, when he was dealing with COVID throughout health and safety protocols, um, but still needs to get back in game shape a little bit here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously you want more than these 12 points, five assists, and specifically seven turnovers that you had from Fox. Um, but, you know, may- maybe I shouldn't just like write it off because I'm trying to get to one guy in specific, to be honest. Um, because Fox Fox needs to be better. But I think that we can trust Fox to be better. Um, you know, I people have been very critical of, of Aaron this year, and there's understandable reason for that. But I just think it's an important to point out that prior to going down Fox was playing some of the best basketball that that we had seen from him, you know, in the five games before he went into health and safety protocol, he was averaging 26.8 points, um, only 2.8 assists because they, it seemed like the emphasis was on him being more of a scorer, but clearly you're fine with that when he's giving you 26.8 a night on 58% from the field, only 26% from three. um, But then also about 77% from the free throw line, like, Fox was playing really good offensively prior to going into health and safety protocol. So he's a guy that I look at and I'm like, man, he's going to kind of come back around in that aspect. And, and he needs to clean up some of the perimeter containment just as much as Tyrese Halliburton or, or Terrence Davis does as well. Um, Davion Mitchell will obviously be a big impact in in that aspect. um, Once he's able to return, but the other guy that obviously needs uh, some work as well on on the perimeter is Buddy Healed. And when I hear this whole look in the mirror and did I do everything that I could tonight, can I honestly tell myself that I feel like this was a you know B level effort from me? Even Buddy Healed is the standout guy to me that I don't think so. Like. We've seen recently, there was a conversation Sean Cunningham caught at the end of the first quarter in in one of the recent games. I want to say it was the game against the Clippers before Memphis. Yes, it was, um, where Harkless was visibly frustrated and and expressing that frustration towards and kind of at Buddy Heald for what I assume is a you know defensive lapse and. When I just when I hear this lack of sharpness, it's Buddy and and, and Bagley's the other guy that stands out to me as well. But Bagley hasn't been uh, much of a factor on this team. They're not all too concerned with giving him all too many minutes. And I think once he was able to fill that smaller role and willing to be a role player on this team, that we saw him doing okay. But Buddy Heald is a guy. Like, I, I mean, listen to the difference between these last two games that we've seen from Buddy Heald because the amount of shots that he's getting up, and I understand it's notable all the guys returning from health and safety protocol that I pointed out, um, you know, that that led to him playing 23 minutes against Memphis compared to the 43 that he played against the Clippers and, and the differences in those minutes played is important to keep in mind as I, I get into these numbers here. But listen to this difference in the game against the Clippers, 16 points um, because he shot the ball 22 times from the field and 18 times from three. 
Then against Memphis, he goes from 22 field goal attempts to three and 18 attempts from the on the arc to two. Um, like for all the issues that and flaws, I guess, that Buddy Heald has in his game, elite three point shooter, right? You know, he hasn't been great this year. He's down to 37% from three on about 10 attempts a game, but career 40% three-point shooter, like that's the one aspect you do not worry about Buddy Heald, right? And while he's out there, he's still supplying spacing, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He is actively harming the team on the defensive end because there's too often that he is, when you try to look at where did this defensive possession go wrong, I mean, I don't want to be over dramatic, but I feel like more than half the time, it, it Buddy Heald is the answer. Or it's that teams decided, for example, against the Clippers, Eric Bledsoe realized, oh, I can just drive through Buddy Heald every single time. Terrence Mann did the same thing. Um, you know, and then on the offensive end, while he is this elite three-point shooter, he makes one shot, maybe makes one free throw after being cold and throwing up a lot of ill-advised shots earlier in the game, and all of a sudden he feels deserving of a heat check. Um, there's We've seen Mo Harkless been frustrated with him for not setting great screens on this Spain pick-and-roll action that they love to, that, that Sacramento has been running a lot, specifically since Gentry has taken over, and Buddy Heald doesn't actually set the screen on the defending big man. Instead, he kind of just brushes off and then moves straight to the three-point line where he's hoping to get the ball and get an opportunity to throw up a shot. Um, it's the sharpness on both ends of the floor. And there's been so many moments where teammates and coaches are just visibly frustrated with Buddy Heald throughout these last couple games. Um, I am certainly not trying to say that this is all Buddy Heald's fault. It's not. It goes on everybody, just like Gentry said, from the top to the bottom. Monty McNair, Vivek, um, Gentry, Doug, Fox, Tyrese, um, everybody, everybody deserves some sort of bid in this that they could have done more. But Buddy is the guy every single night where you're like, man, he's hurting you out there. And the inconsistency that you get from him He's not even checking the one box that you felt like you would reliably get from him in three-point shooting. Um, he's hurting you when he's out there. And it's frustrating. And it, and it looks like it's frustrating the rest of the team from, you know, this is from the outside, obviously. Um, yeah. I, I think that The buddy situation is needs to be addressed. Um, James Ham asked Alvin Gentry at the end of this presser, you know, that there's been multiple players meetings. We've seen a coaches change. Um, at what point is there more change that needs to be made? Almost hinting towards a roster uh, switch up, right, of some sorts. I would assume through trades. Um, at least that's how I took it. And this was Gentry's response to that. And yeah, 
Here, here's how Gentry responded to the idea of when is more change needed. But, you know, we, we like the players that we have. You know, uh, we think that we're good enough to win games. Obviously, we feel that way. Everybody feels that way. The coaches, you know, uh, basketball ops people, we all feel like we have the necessary people to win games. But we have to do that on the court. And we haven't done that on the court. And so uh, we have to, as a, as a coach, my job is to continue to try to figure out what combinations of guys can we put out there uh, so that we can accomplish that. That's what I've got to look at. You know, the, the other part I don't worry about. I worry about who we got here right now. And I like the people that we have here right now, but we have to perform. You know, we have to, we have to perform to the level that we can start winning basketball games. And that's the main thing that I look at. That's my job. Uh, you know, anything else, you'd have to take that up with someone else. But my job is that we have good enough players here to win games. How the hell do we get them to the position where they believe that and that we can win games? There's a lot of reading between the lines with these things that I'm like slowly in the process of learning. Maybe I'm off base here. Um, I don't think that the roster is good enough to win that many games. I don't know what the team's supposed to be good at. Like, what can they fall back on? They're not a good three-point shooting team. They lack playmaking. After Fox and Halliburton, Davion's all right. After that, I don't know who's a good playmaker on this team. They clearly can't play defense. They have, they lack physicality on that end to be a pesky in your shorts defense that forces turnovers. They don't have the great physical, they don't have ideal physical tools to contain on the perimeter. They don't have any sort of high level rim protector. They're not going to be a good defense, right? They don't have the roster for that. And I don't know what they're supposed to be good at. I don't know what the roster can consistently be good at. We've heard pace. Gentry says speed is the best aspect of this roster. He said that like since he's taken over, right? And pushed pace nonstop. Uh, Any team can decide that they want to run their ass off. Like most modern rosters could look and be like, ah, well, we, we just want to be a really fast team. I, I don't know what this team's supposed to be good at. Um, you know, I kind of felt like Gentry was it kind of hinted at being frustrated with the roster. Um, not hinted at intentionally or anything, but I kind of got, I kind of felt a little bit like he, he's frustrated with the roster that he's dealing with. Um, you know, I worry about who we got here right now. If you want to talk about that, you got to take that up with somebody else. He said, obviously, we all feel that way when it comes to this roster being good enough. Do I think that, you know, the roster construction makes this sort of breakdown in the second half of Memphis inexcusable? Absolutely not. But I, I don't know that the roster, the roster has a lot of clear flaws um, that I think Monty McNair deserves some flack for. Um, I, don't, I don't know what this team is supposed to be good at. So like Gentry says, it's his job to go out there and 
properly optimize the guys that he has in front of him, and they've shown an ability to be more. But I, I just don't think he's being dealt a great hand, is what I'll say. Um, changes. It feels weird to say need, but like, I don't know how you cannot at this point. Changes need to be made. And Buddy Hill's the guy that stands out to me. He says he's going to do whatever he needs to gentry, that is, to get the right combination of guys out there. I wonder if it's actually a possibility to not play Buddy for a game. Um, you know, I didn't think it was a possibility with Marvin. Um, and, and we saw that happen at the beginning of the year. Obviously, circumstances are different because Marvin is going into a year where the Kings could give him a qualifying offer and potentially make him a restricted free agent if they chose to do so, while Buddy Heald still has years left on his $20-plus million deal and is somebody that you know we've publicly known for years now, and, and Jason Anderson of the B has reported this year as well that it's still the same. Um, I forget what other source we've heard the same thing. Buddy Heald's available. So what does it say if you bench the guy you're paying 20 million a year trying to sell as an asset to other teams when you're sitting here at 13 and 21 yourself and this guy can't even contribute on what bluntly is a horrible team um so while gentry says that um he's going to do whatever he can i wonder what he's allowed to do with Buddy's situation because it's interesting. Um, and yeah, that in, that inconsistency and in the amount of shots we saw Buddy get up kind of leads to a little bit more responsibility from some other guys. I talked about Terrence Davis, I think, being really aggressive. I, I personally think Terrence Davis has filled that spot that we've uh, wanted or needed from Buddy uh, recently before he was entered into health and safety protocol better than buddy. I, I'd rather personally, I'd rather see him or Harkless in the starting lineup, but so much inconsistency on who is going to be that four starter. And, you know, I think Metsu and Harkless are the guys that specifically stand out of going from these drastic quick changes of DNP CDs to all of a sudden in the starting lineup, Terrence Davis has experienced the same thing. Alex Len and Tristan Thompson are, um, you know, seen on some nights and not on others. And the impression I get is that that's expressed to them going into that game, what the expectation is. But I think the rest of the guys could be a little unsure. Um, you know, Bagley, as an example, I think Damian Jones is a player that um, it, it's hard to figure out the formula on, on when he's decided to, when it's decided for him to get some minutes. And um, those inconsistencies are something that, you know, I, I've been curious about. How much does that impact these primary playmakers and the guys that you do consistently see, Fox, Halliburton, Barnes, Holmes, um, compared to knowing who they're out there playing with? But Terrence Davis gave a little bit of perspective here on what it's like for the guys that are getting those inconsistent minutes themselves. It's kind of tough, you know, um, no excuses whatsoever. But, you know, as as, uh, as the season been going on, man, it's just, you know, we – there's nothing just, you know, that's solid as far as lineups, you know, things of that sort. It's it's tough, man. So, you know, guys don't know when they're playing. Guys, I mean, I don't mean to talk on it, but, you know, the facts are the facts, things of that sort. So, uh, 
I just feel like, you know, once we once we really all get on the same page, all aboard, I mean, I feel like, you know, this team is very talented. We have very talented guys, man. I can't stress enough. We have very talented guys, man. We can play with anyone. So, uh, like I said, once we once we, you know, tie together, it'll come along. Yeah. And, you know, I saw some people, uh, Terrence Davis mentioned that when he was in health and safety protocol that he, you know, getting the opportunity to kind of watch some of the games from home, he he noticed the trend of the Kings coming out slow at the beginning of the third and uh, and then slowly needing to catch up from that point on. And some people were responding to when I put that out on Twitter, other people that media members that had put that out as well, um, saying that, oh, Terrence Davis is is taking shots or um you know, why is Terrence Davis the one out here uh, spitting facts or however people wanted to say it? And it's just Terrence Davis was who media gave to us. Um, he, he had a decent game. Usually they're not going to throw guys out there aside from um, the stars and, and the coach as well. Um, they're not going to throw guys out there no matter how they played. Um, so TD had a good game. He doesn't talk to media all that often. And I think that the things he's expressing are just um, very blunt. And I, I don't think there's other intentions of him taking shots at people or any sort of nonsense like this. I, I think he's just telling it how he sees it um, from, I, I don't think that he talked to Toronto media much if at all um, because of complications and yeah, that I won't get into. He hasn't talked to us in Sacramento all that often. So um I think just keep that in mind with, with some of these quotes that you saw from TD and he was put out there after a really tough situation. So, um, you know, he, he just kind of backs up the same thing that we hear is that there's been a lack of inconsistency or a lack of consistency that really makes it difficult to find for things to click for the Sacramento team in a way that they really need to to capitalize on the talent that's on this roster because the roster is talented, like TD talks about. Um, and then a little later in the conversation, he, being Terrence Davis, was asked by Jason Anderson of the SAC B about the if this team lacks leadership. And Jason, you know, pointed to Davis's perspective that he has coming from Toronto, and asked, you know, does this team lack leadership? And uh, here's Davis's initial response to Anderson's question. Is there enough leadership? I don't know. Is that a trick question? Like, I know it's, it's, it's tough, man. I don't want to, you know, I'm not a guy to, you know, point fingers or anything of that sort, but, um, you know, that's, that's a whole different situation over there in Toronto as far as, you know, um, you know, them winning and things of that sort. So, you know, it's kind of like, all right, you're stepping into something where it's, you know, they just won a championship. So, obviously, you know, the room and uh, things of that sort is, is different. But uh, I don't think we lack leadership. I just think we lack uh, a leader's voice, if that makes sense. We don't we don't really have a leader's voice. We have leaders. Their voice isn't being heard enough, honestly. That's just my opinion. First of all, the most hilarious line unintentionally, and, and as you can see, um, Davis TD was, you know, doesn't do media all that often and um, was getting asked some some pretty tough questions after an embarrassing performance and is following up a coach that just absolutely chewed out his entire team. So 
tough situation, getting asked tough questions. Um, but first of all, the most hilarious thing when he asked about Toronto, he's like, you know, the, the whole situation in Toronto is very different. And then he says, with them winning and, and things of that sort. Um, I, I just thought that's hilarious. He's like, you know, like they win basketball games. It's just different over there. Um, and it's, you know, again, not TD taking shots. It, it's blunt. It's exactly what it is. Um, yeah, it's that's exactly what it is. Um, and to his point on leadership, that they have leaders, but the voices aren't being heard. I think it could be interpreted in a few ways. I think the way to not take this in my mind is that they have to change up the top talent on this team. You specifically look at De'Aaron Fox, right? Um, your best player doesn't have to be your vocal leader and motivator. Um, you know, I think of Draymond Green. You know, um, I think that he absolutely fits that. When you look at... Who else do we got here? Um, look at the... Really should have some decent examples in front of me, huh? I think that Memphis, for example, now Jaw fits that. Um, it it is admittedly almost six a.m. and I haven't slept, so I apologize. But main guy does not have to be the vocal leader. It can come from other aspects. It can come from your coaching, for example. Um, and it could come from a starter level player. It can't come from a guy that's sitting on the bench and hardly impacting the game on the floor. You know, talking about a Garrett Temple, Iman Shumpert, Tristan Thompson. Their voice has to carry more weight, like TD is saying. That isn't happening. The voice isn't getting through. The leadership voices that they do have isn't getting through. And it could be because it's coming from these lesser guys. So it's not necessarily that it needs to be from the top guy that it's like, well, Fox has to check that box. He's getting paid a ridiculous amount of money. He's the max guy on this team. Um, Would it be great for him too? Obviously. But it's not a necessity. It can come from a different guy that is deserving of being that's one of the six best players on this team playing 25 plus minute every single night um i think what td said also can be interpreted as certain guys aren't listening um i hate to harp on him a bunch um but i i think i have understandable reason that like buddy heald's a guy we we've seen getting lectured talked to a lot um and we see a lot of the same mistakes there's a lot of the same mistakes throughout the entire roster, but I, I think Buddy specifically seems to be a guy that um, sometimes things aren't resonating and sticking. Um, so two different ways you can kind of take that from TD. I certainly don't look at it as a Fox needs to be that guy. Um, it's a personality thing. And if he's not that, that's not a big deal. That doesn't mean he can't be kick-ass at basketball. Um, yeah, my bad for not being able to come up with better examples on the spot. But yes, there are teams that if if you go look throughout these rosters, and um, I, I will do that again here soon and, and tweet it just for the sake of me not making a straw man argument where there's not actually anything. I've done this before on this pod. Um, it does not need to be the main guy. It's, it's a personality thing. And if Fox does not have that personality, it doesn't mean that he can't be worth max money. 
Not saying that he has been this year, um, but he still absolutely can be without being this like crazy vocal leader. And Fox was the one other guy that we did get to talk to um, after that Memphis breakdown. It was pretty quick. You know, Fox, Fox gives pretty short answers. Um, and the one clip that I am going to include here because there's a lot of Fox saying, you know, we just have to be better. We have to be able to utilize and optimize the talent that we have on this team. Um, Jason Anderson asked him, you know, we hear a lot of the same things over and over. Actually, I include the clip. I include Jason asking the question. I, I think it's pretty quiet. So if, if you can't hear it amazingly, um, it, it is Jason, you know, to paraphrase or to paraphrase saying, uh, you know, we have heard a lot of the same things over and over. Um, like what's, what's going on pretty much. It's the same things over and over what needs to change. And I, I just, De'Aaron Fox's response was notable. So here's that. De'Aaron, what do you feel like the, the answer is? We sense the frustration, you know, obviously from Alvin and from you guys. Um, what, I mean, it, I don't know. It just has been so repetitive and, and you know, it's not like the, the, the roadmap's not there and you've got to do this, got to do that. You guys say the same things over and over. What, What's it going to take to actually put it all together? So do you want to hear it again? I mean, I guess I'm asking why it's not happening. I don't know. We have to be able to put it together. We've heard the same things over and over. What's it going to take to put it all together? Fox response was, so do you want to hear it again? There's no answer. Like, they need to get their shit together. They need to look in the mirror. They need to hone in on their sharpness. Everybody needs to, like Gentry said, be able to comfortably, confidently say at the end of each one of these games that they did everything they could to impact and uh, impact and help aid in the Kings effort to get a win that night. And just don't think that guys have been able to say that consistently enough. There's certain guys that specifically stand out to me. Um, I, I do feel tough for constantly going at them in this episode, but I think it's understandable where I'm coming from here. Like buddy healed is when you talk about a lack of sharpness, just listen for it. All these things that you are hearing players being frustrated about and all of the read between the lines. And there's a lot of moments where I think if you're looking for it, you're going to see so many things that we're hearing. Buddy Heald fits that. What was just said, it wasn't directed at Buddy specifically but oh he fits that box oh he also fits this from a couple days ago or we saw the Harkless and Buddy interaction and then Tyrese Halliburton gets asked post game about Buddy Heald's play and instantly 
compliments Maurice Harkless's play before getting to Buddy Heald. Um, you know, I, I saw other people worded as, oh, we know what side he's on between Buddy and Mel. Um, I, it goes a lot deeper than this, but Buddy's a problem right now. Um, I know I'm saying it's not on all on him and saying that, but also making it sound like it is. It does go deeper, like Fox and Halliburton need to figure out how to both have um, really stellar games at the same time and that not be a rare sight. Harrison Barnes needs to up his aggressiveness and keep that going. The Kings need to figure out who the hell their fourth starter is going to be because it honestly cannot be Chabezzi Metu. Um, defenses do not care about him shooting the ball, and he's not hitting at even a decent clip this year. So there's more issues. Rashawn Holmes has been terrible, but he needs time to get back into game shape. Uh, you know, I think that's understandable um, with maybe the most significant injuries ever dealt with in his career. So it goes deeper than Buddy, but Buddy is the one that really stands out to me. And yeah, I, I don't know what the Kings need to do to address that. I think Fox coming out and saying, so you want to hear it again in response to we've, it, it's been the same shit. What's the answer? Fox like, so you want to hear it again? I think it's understandable because there's not some complicated fix that like hasn't been tried yet or something. Um, with the team that is out there right now, everything that we've heard is still the same issues that have yet to be fixed, and a lot of it comes down to looking themselves in the mirror. So with the loss to Memphis, um, Kings are sitting at 13-21. and 21. They're tied with the Oklahoma City Thunder for 12th in the Western Conference standings, and the Thunder are actually the team that the Kings play on the 28th Wednesday. Um, so they'll be, I guess, fighting for sole possession of that 12th spot, which is certainly something. But while they're sitting there, tied for the 12th spot with the OKC, with OKC it's important to keep in mind they are just four and a half games behind the fifth seed in the Western Conference, um, there's only four teams, five after the Clippers did uh, get a win, that are, uh, I'm sorry, they lost, but there's five teams in the Western Conference only that are above 500. So the Kings are still absolutely in the playoff race, the play-in race. Uh, it'd be really difficult for them to not remain in that race. Um, so, yeah, even though the record is... 13 and 21 is kind of dreadful to look at with expectations coming into the year, even though there have been all these um, COVID related unavailabilities. I, I think a lot of teams have had to deal with that. Sure. The Kings are one of the teams that have had to deal with it. Um, they're on the higher end of the amount they've been affected by that. But I think there's a handful of teams that fit in the same sort of tier as them. It's not an expectation. I think anybody should um, feel comfortable making, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, while they're in this spot, like I said, four and a half games out of the fifth seed, they also are just two and a half games out of the 15th seed in the Western Conference. So feel similar a little bit to last year where it's like, all right, do which side do we want to commit to here? And given no reason to think that it's not going to be chasing the play-in um, because, yeah, four and a half games from the fifth seed three games from the seventh seed 
which is the Los Angeles Lakers, by the way, um, is really not that far away. And we've seen the Kings, although they are, they now have lost seven of their last nine. When you include this horrific Memphis game, they, we, we've seen them have quick stretches where, you know, that they go through slumps like this and then also have, uh, these stretches of uh, of really encouraging basketball that makes the entire fan base believe again, and all of a sudden the record looks really promising, or the standings look really promising, and getting to play OKC, who they're tied with in the standings, and then also getting to play Dallas, who are sitting in that eight seed. The Kings are only three games behind Dallas in that eight seed. Getting to play Dallas for two games in a row, um, both at Golden One Center, and Luka Doncic is expected to be unavailable in health and safety protocol himself for both of those games is a really big opportunity for the Kings. And then they have another home game against the Miami heat before they, they go on the road against the Lakers. Um, yeah, as disappointing as it is. And I know I harped on, it seems like I harped on this one Memphis game a lot, but really it's just me pointing out that the same issues are still here and guys are frustrated. Shit's not changed. We're seeing the only consistent thing this year has been it that the team has been inconsistent um, 29th in defensive rating. When there was all the talk about the team needs to be better on defense, they went from 30th to 29th. Um, they're not good on offense to make up for it. They're 18th in offensive rating. They can't, they don't space the floor. Well, they lack playmaking. Um, yeah. I'm sitting at 25th in net rating. And there, there's some clear tiers here. You know, the Pistons are 30th and the magic are 29th. Minus 9.7 net rating for the Pistons, minus 9.4 for Orlando. Two far and away worse net ratings. Two after that in another tier of their own. OKC, minus 7.6, and Houston, minus 7.1. And then the next jump, those are the clear four worst teams in the league. The next jump after that is a tier where Sacramento sits with the New Orleans Pelicans. Pelicans, minus 4.3 net rating, and the Kings are minus 4.2. Um, the next one that you see is Portland minus 3.3, so a, a significant jump there. And then after them, when you get to 23, is Washington with minus 2.7. So the Kings are one of only one, two, three, four, five, six teams in the NBA with a net rating worse than negative four, um, worse than negative 3.5 even. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they don't feel like they're worse than Detroit, Orlando, OKC, Houston. They don't belong in that tier, but... I don't know that you can say that they necessarily belong with Portland, Washington, LA, Charlotte, New York. Um, It's a tough situation. So as guys continue to work their way back into the rotation, it shouldn't be all too long until Namiya Shikita, Damian Mitchell, and Alex Lynn are able to join. Hopefully they can find some sort of consistency or yeah, take advantage of this home stretch, I guess. So I think that's all I got. Um, take a look at the King's Herald for work for myself and all the other great writers on that website. Um, take a look at their Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoy this episode of the King's Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you'll hear from me again here in the next couple of days.